This podcast is brought to you by AIRS, Global Mobility Inspired Thinking. The focus of this episode is the AIRS 2020 Expatriate Trends Report. Summarizing our findings is Romaine Dillner, Senior Policy Consultant at AIRS. I'm Sheila McKell. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode of AIRS on Air. Hi, Romaine. Thanks so much for joining us today. So my first question is, what does expatriate mean to you? Well, it can mean a a couple different things depending upon the context in in which we're using the word. So the very most, I would say, basic context of expatriate would be anyone who lives outside of their country. But people could live outside their country for various reasons. So from the perspective of global employee mobility, we usually talk about expatriate in the context of somebody who has been asked by their employer to temporarily live and work in a foreign country. And then there's usually things that go along with that, like being attached to your home country payroll and now being taxed in both countries. So the company will pay the additional tax liability. And we refer to that as tax equalization. Um, And then there's various allowances and ongoing expenses that are covered, that expatriate would either return back where they came from or possibly be reassigned or potentially stay where they are. Um, so that's that's that expatriate in that form becomes one specific subset of, of that general definition. And then there's various subsets in between um, based on individual circumstances and situations. So um, the very general to the very specific and then anything in between. Great, thanks. And so why was the focus of this year's survey on expatriates? Well, we do one large survey every year. And the last time that we surveyed expatriates was in 2017. So we were ready to benchmark the data again. Plus we also already have done seven different other surveys this year that focused on the reactions and the consequences and the impacts that the pandemic has had on global mobility. So I was really happy to focus our our surveys on on something else other than just the pandemic. But definitely, we, we couldn't completely eliminate the impact that the pandemic has had on expatriates. So this year's expatriate survey was familiar in the way that it asked a lot of the same questions as our previous year's surveys have asked as far as expatriates are concerned, but we had to include um, a section specifically addressing the impact of the pandemic as well. Mm -hmm. And what did the survey reveal about how expatriate assignments are changing? Well, like I like I said, a whole lot didn't change, um, and and a lot of people would think that it would change dramatically. But but when we look at the the data as a whole, there's a lot of things that stayed the same. But but I would say the things that we've noticed that changed um, first and foremost, I think, is the elephant in the room that people say that oh, there's we don't have expatriates; they're too expensive. Um, you know, people think that expatriates are 
are, are going away. And, and I can't necessarily agree with that, but I will say there are fewer expatriates at a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the overall average of all the companies that participate in our surveys over the years and the number of expatriates that they have, when we look at what that average is out to be, there is a decline um, and it's kind of undeniable decline. But it's because expatriates are very expensive. You know, some of the, you know, I mentioned the tax equalization, that's very expensive for companies to fund. Um, Some of those ongoing allowances, like paying cost of living allowances, paying for assignment housing, companies pay children's tuition at international schools. And there's, there's a lot of expenses that go along that are associated with expatriates that do make them the most expensive way to send talent to a foreign country. Mm -hmm. Um, So because of that, as companies are more cost conscious, they they're looking for ways to reduce costs and reduce the number of expatriates that they have. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that we noticed was, and this has been something we've been talking about for quite a few years, but the concept of localization. And, And honestly, that's another word that has different contexts, but more so context in the term in in the in the sense of when localization takes place. So we use the term localization to to describe when somebody is hired locally in a foreign country. So I mentioned expatriates typically stay on their home country payroll. Mm-hmm. When you're localized, you're hired in the country that you're working in and not, not necessarily attached to your home country payroll. Um, your salary may be adjusted. You're not eligible for that cost of living or tax equalization or housing being paid for. We find now that more companies are focusing on what happens at the end of the assignment. Are you going to be localized if you stay there for three or more years, or will you be returned or will you be reassigned? Um, We found a definite uptick in the companies that are saying this assignment is not gonna exceed three years. If it does, you'll be localized or possibly reassigned. So companies want to make sure that they have a grasp on making sure they can follow these employees and not lose sight of them. And, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we talked a lot about career expats and rogue expats that maybe had been on an assignment for 10 years and the company lost track of them, yet They were still receiving the COLA, the tax equalization, and so on and so forth. Companies are taking more steps at the beginning to set the expectation of this is temporary and this is what's going to happen at the end, more so now than ever before. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, I would just say a couple other things, you know, um, reducing costs, um, cutting down the cash allowances that are being paid, making sure that the expenses that are being paid by the company are useful, you know, a term that we use is getting the biggest bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. But on the on the other hand of that, we also see some companies providing more types of support that enhance the experience. So making sure that the employee and their family have the resources available to them that they need. Um, it's kind of like it's kind of like a scale that's always balancing except itself. You know, you have some companies that are trying to cut costs and, and remove things from their expatriate program. But on the other side of that, you have this balancing act of companies that are trying to add value 
and, and like I said, increase that experience and enhance that experience for their expatriate. And that might mean adding a few things and adding some costs to the program. So um, that that's definitely always a balancing act that we see. Mm-hmm. And I think the last thing I would say is just more creativity with structuring these policies. You know, when you look back at the, at the expatriate policies 25, 30 years ago, they were about as expensive as you could imagine. You know, they were throwing cash at people in order to get them to take an international assignment because they thought that's what it took at that time. In some cases it did. Now, more people want to move somewhere else or have that international experience to add to their resume. It's become a part of the career process. So, um, We've definitely seen more creativity with structuring the assignment benefits from everything to helping to reduce those costs and and balance that scale with adding valuable support. Um, So it's interesting to see how the policies have changed over the years. What are some other examples of how companies are getting creative with their expatriate programs? So I'd say one that's been around for a while has is is the core flex approach. So core in the sense that there's a set group of expenses, services, and or benefits that the that in, the expatriates would be eligible for, and then there's this other set of benefits that are considered to be flexible, where they might be situational. You know, depending upon who you are where you're going to, why you're going there, what level or position you hold within the company or what your family situation is, might qualify you for additional benefits. Um, so that core flex model is, it, we're, we're seeing it more in expatriate programs. It, it traditionally was founded to, um, I think, support more permanent transfers or more of those local hire one-way type move packages, sort of the opposite of an expat where you're hired locally in country. We see more core flex there as as well as domestic mobility programs. We see a lot of core flex, but it's it's slowly and steadily increasing in interest in the the expatriate world as well. Um, I talked a little bit before about you know, those other subsets of expatriates Mm -hmm. that we see out there. Um, So I would say that's the other way that companies are getting creative is you have that very specific definition of an expat host um, staying in their home country payroll, getting all of those assignment related benefits, the tax equalization and so on and so forth. The most expensive way to go basically, but you see companies being creative and maybe not making someone a full 100% expat in that traditional sense, but maybe portions of what they're offering the employee follow an expat model. Um, We refer to those types of programs often as hybrid or plus type program. So someone might be sent to a foreign country and hired locally, but maybe they are receiving a cost of living allowance, or maybe they are receiving a housing allowance, or maybe the company has agreed to tax equalize them while they're there. Even though they're hired locally, they still may be taxed on their global income kind of situation. So we see variations where companies might be picking and choosing certain benefits that they'll offer that are characteristic of being an expat, but they might not be offered to someone under that traditional expat program. And then 
I'd say the last major way that we see companies being creative now is, is, you know, as a result of this pandemic and so many people are working from home, we're now starting to talk about these terms like work from home or WFH or work from anywhere, which means now that you're working from your office, who said you had to actually work from the house that you currently live in, you might decide to pick up and go somewhere else. And um, all the all the new dynamic that that kind of concept brings has led companies to now offering virtual assignments. So mm-hmm. if the employee can't physically pick up and move, you know they're now you know continuing to work from where they were, but now they have a new role and new responsibilities and new reports, and um, it, it's like they're on assignment, but they hadn't they didn't have to get on a plane to to move anywhere. Right. So are companies prepared to handle virtual assignments? Well, I'd say they're probably about as prepared as they were, you know, back in March when when we all started working from home. Um, And I know that hit in different locations around the world as far as sending employees home from their offices. Um, But most companies that went through that process had about a week, two weeks to to transition all their staff from, from working in an office working from home. So we've we've been through that. Companies have adjusted, um, probably purchased a lot of laptops that they might not have had before. Um, so companies sort of have already adjusted to the concept of virtual assignments, mm-hmm. but you know, we don't really know how long we're going to be working from home. Some companies I know over the past few months have thought, oh, you know, we'll we'll plan for July and then it got pushed back. We'll plan for October. We'll plan for December. Now companies are talking about Q2 and Q3 in 2021. So um, I, I don't necessarily think that companies have a choice but to be prepared to have virtual assignments. People still need to do their jobs. And right. Businesses can't stop. Um, talent still needs to, you know, transition from role to role and and serve their serve their employer um, to meet all their business needs and, and goals and objectives. So um, they're going to have to be prepared to deal with virtual assignments. I think. So virtual assignments sound a lot like a continuation of working from home. So what could be difficult about that? Well, I would say. Um, in theory, it does sound pretty simple, um, but there definitely is, um, well, yes, work from home is, work from home, work from anywhere, virtual assignment, they all do mean the same thing, um, but looking at their context, they're, they're, they are slightly different from each other. Um, but the whole concept of work, you know, quote unquote work and what work really means um, you know, when we send someone traditionally to get on an airplane and go to a foreign country and work, you have to have a visa in order to get into the country, legally work there. Um, and you have to report your income for taxation purposes. So uh, the main factors that we see impacting these virtual assignments focus around the tax and immigration compliance. So, you know, who you're earning your money from and who is benefiting from the work that, that is being done by you um, when you're on that virtual assignment really drives that need for tax and immigration compliance. So anyone in this situation, I, if you already aren't having these conversations with your legal tax and immigration counsel, 
to make sure that you're doing the right thing, I highly suggest if you haven't already that you do have those conversations Mm -hmm. to make sure that, you know, you could be sitting anywhere and working for a company these days. There's been a lot of um, forgiveness throughout this pandemic of that. I'm kind of looking the other way of, oh, we'll deal with that later. But there comes a time where you need to make sure that these folks are compliant if they are working from home, but serving an entity in a foreign country, for sure. Okay, back to expatriate benefits. Were there any surprises for you in the survey responses this year? There were a couple. Um, and one of them, the, the first one that comes to mind is one that I didn't even realize until I read the final product. You know, writing the survey and analyzing the data and writing up the results is, is one thing. But when you sit down and you, you actually read the final product, one thing that jumped out to me was that technology was the largest participating industry sector in our survey, followed by consumer products. Both of those industries, when we do our surveys, whether it's these large annual surveys or our our, our shorter pulse surveys that we do during the year, uh, technology and consumer products normally round out. They're usually in the bottom of our top five. And manufacturing are usually either um, manufacturing and finance and pharmaceuticals are usually one, two, and three, or some form of the top of the 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 top five, but manufacturing and finance were three and were, I'm sorry, they were four and five and pharmaceuticals came in eighth. So I was just surprised by the dynamic of the participating companies and how different this expatriate survey was, not only from our previous expatriate surveys, but from all the other types of surveys that, that we conduct. And that kind of that makes me think of two possible reasons why technology led the way. And literally like one out of five participating companies identified themselves as being a tech company. Um, and, and one reason, one thing I thought of first was the definition of, of what tech is and the amount of companies that identify themselves as tech companies, I think is just broadening in general. But I also take from it that more tech companies are interested in this type of data. Most of the most of the questions that we're getting from companies about what are people doing with work from home, what type of support is being provided for these virtual assignments, a lot of that is being driven by the tech industry. So, um, so that was one thing that was surprising. Um, I think the other thing that was surprising for me was that as we do these surveys every three year we three years we don't only we don't only track the number the average number of expatriates that companies have we also track the average length of their assignments and from 2011 the average length of an assignment has barely budged um, right now it reported back at 2.88 years so almost three years. Um, back in 2011 and 2014, it was like 2.8 years. So there has wow. been hardly, yeah, I know. That's what I was like, wow. Ooh. When you look at those numbers, you think, okay, fewer expatriates, companies are cutting their costs, but the one constant has been the length of the assignment. So there's this, when we talk about expats, we talk about two to three year assignments. And, and, and I don't think anything could be more true because the average falls, you know, on the, on the higher end of that range, closer to three years, but there's been very little change um, with that. 
And the other thing that was surprising, sort of surprising to me, because I, I, I do this research for a living and I do see that things don't change dramatically year to year, let alone every three years. But a lot of the data in the survey stayed the same, you know, mm-hmm. companies providing um, miscellaneous allowances, you know, cash allowances to help with the move or household good shipments or temporary living, home finding trips, you know, that that pre let's go look and see what this location's like before we move there kind of trip um, to help us figure out where we're going to live, where we're going to send the kids to school, um, how we get around, like that that trip that helps you be prepared for your adventure that you're about to go on. Um, all of those benefits are very consistent year over year, and we don't see a whole lot of change there. So um, this year we did adjust the survey to account for this whole core flex approach. So um, in previous years, we asked the question, you know, like, do you, do you offer a home finding trip? And the answer was yes or no. Now the answers were yes as a standard benefit or yes as a flexible benefit. So um, it was interesting to see that even with doing that and making that change this year, there was still a lot of consistency in, in the answers that we had. Okay. So yeah, other than that, I, I would say those are those are the main surprises um, okay. that, that I took away from this year's survey. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the expatriate assignment landscape will look like in the next two or three years? Well, I would I would hope that this pandemic is behind us. Um, now that vaccinations are starting to take place and uh, we can only hope that things are going to move forward onward and upward, I guess, from, Mm -hmm. from here would, would be, you know, like what we all hope for. Um, But it definitely, I would say is hard to predict because we still don't know when people are going to be back in their offices. We, we don't know when, when all the countries are going to open their borders and, and travel will resume. Uh, we don't know when those countries can relax their regulations and, and basically open up again. So, you know, still talking about the short term, it, it's kind of hard to say. Mm-hmm. I, I'm fairly optimistic long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're talking about two to three years from now, I'm only hoping that everyone can rebound and, things will be back somewhat to the way that they were in 2019. Um, But I I, I don't think we can, I I don't think we can take the mindset that these work from home situations and virtual assignments are temporary. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that we learned from, from one of the surveys that we did this year about the pandemic is there's a high percentage of companies that say we have some employees that probably will never return to the office and they will continue to work from home. So I, I think that plays a large factor in where we see companies going with the concept of working virtually, even, even on being assigned to, to a new position, um, not physically in a foreign country, but virtually in a foreign country. But mm-hmm. I will say the good news in all of this is that these expatriate programs have been fairly resilient through all of this. Um, yes, there's been assignments that have been delayed or um, canceled. Um, we found in reaction to this beginning that a lot of people came home early. Um, but really, when we when we asked people in the survey, you know, what happened to your expatriates? 
um, only about half of the companies that responded said they had at least one expatriate impacted. Some had more, obviously, um, but it didn't impact everybody. And, and I think that's good. But also we asked them what they thought about the future. And we found overwhelmingly that people were very positive, that things will stay the same for their expatriates, that they will continue to maintain their expatriate programs and maintain the same number of expatriates and that they don't feel that their program will see much change as far as their, their policy benefits that they're offering. So um, I, I just think that's very encouraging. And, and that's something, that's a common theme, like I said, that we've seen throughout the surveys that we've done this year that didn't necessarily only focus on expatriates, but more so on the pandemic is that people really do view this as temporary and um, hope to resume normal operations, basically, from, from an expatriate standpoint. Great. So what types of research does Ayers Consulting have planned for this year? Well, I'd say we're still evaluating all of the things that we're going to take a look at. Um, and we do that on a regular basis to make sure that what we're planning is really what people want to know about. A lot of what we do is really driven by the comments, questions, and suggestions we get from other companies that we're working with within the industry and what our clients are asking us. But obviously, we're going to continue to focus on how everyone's dealing with this work from home, these virtual assignments. Um, but we're also getting more questions on things like repayment agreements and what happens when people that you've moved leave or choose to leave the company. Um, so we anticipate having a pulse survey on, on repayment agreements coming up. We're getting questions on cost of living um, for both expatriates as well as domestic relocation. Um, it's not something that a lot of companies offer, but those companies that do it um, and, and some of those companies that don't but are considering it, they've started um, talking a, a little bit more about it. So that's something that we want to update our data on as well. Mm -hmm. And we'll probably take a look at more specifics with things like household goods shipping. Um, we get a lot of questions on storage and crating of fragile items and some of the extra services that can go along with household goods shipping. And then, well, our next large survey, um, like the expatriate survey of 2020, we'll be doing the um, local hire permanent transfer one-way type move. Um, that will be our large survey that we focus on in 2021. And that will include those hybrid and plus type situations as well. We feel that fits more appropriately with those people that are hired locally than it does with expatriates. Mm -hmm. And then I would say um, more, more broadcasts like this. I mean, this was, this is fun. I love to talk about this kind of stuff. So I want to thank you for the opportunity to do that. And hopefully we have more things that we can talk about in 2021. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Romaine. We'd love to have you back. Thank you.